The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Hello, marketers, and welcome back to the MarTech Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Searchmetrics. Searchmetrics sets the standard for innovation in the content and search engine optimization industries. They support businesses who care about understanding both how to use content as a marketing channel and how to improve their organic rankings. If you're an enterprise-level marketer, the Searchmetrics suite of software and services will help you optimize your existing content, help you understand what topics you need to cover next, and how to ensure that your writers produce effective content. There are billions of Google searches happening every day, and Searchmetrics gets your stories to the top. Today, we're going to talk about B2B marketing with Doug Bell, who is the VP of Marketing of this podcast sponsor, Searchmetrics. In this episode, Doug is going to tell us how he combined his previous experience in finance with an understanding of brand marketing. He's also going to tell us about Searchmetrics' customer segmentation and how he thinks about matching the right products with the right customers. Here's our interview with Doug Bell from Searchmetrics. Doug, it's great to have you here. Hey, Ben. It's good to be here. So let's start off by telling me what does the company that you work for do and what's your role at the company? So, you know, it's funny, Ben, I think for every person that ever goes online, I think there's this whole hidden world that occurs every time you log in, hit your browser, hit your chosen search engine and make a search. There's a tremendous amount of competition for your attention. And there's some obvious things, right? You see some ads that pop up when you do a search, but maybe the less obvious thing is the results that pop up when you do the search that are there naturally. We call that search engine optimization. And it's this art meets science practice of making sure that content is created that actually ranks well. So there's this whole universe and world around that. And what Search Metrics does is we provide the data, we provide some very cool tools to allow people to understand how to leverage that data, and we provide expert services all combined together in this very nice wrapper that helps typically pretty big companies. We do help some smaller companies, but big companies navigate that online world effectively. Part of this podcast, we have three segments, which we described in our first episodes. There's people that listen to this that are marketing pros that understand what a B2B enterprise level SaaS SEO optimization software is. There's also some people that are learning the lingo of marketing. So B2B, business to business, enterprise, large company, SaaS, software as a service, 
search engine optimization, SEO. Did I forget any acronyms at the end there? No, Ben, congratulations. You have won the Jargon Award and Jargon Bingo all in one day. Bingo. Okay. Kidding aside, tell me about your role at Search Metrics. Ben, I'm responsible for marketing globally. We were founded 10 years ago as an agency that specialized in helping large companies deal with SEO challenges. We ultimately morphed into an enterprise software company over time. My core function, if you boil it down at the end of the day, is making sure that that revenue curve is moving up and to the right in a predictable, steady fashion in alignment with the board and investors' expectations. And that largely means that I'm hyper-concerned about brand awareness because it leads to greater efficiency when it comes to new revenue opportunities. I'm very concerned about lead generation, and I'm concerned about efficiency in the funnel. And then another important part of my job is to be able to help the company see around corners and to leverage the combination of pricing, packaging, and products such that we're in the right place at the right time in the market. Walk us through your career path. Where else have you worked? What titles, responsibilities you had? How did you develop the skills along the way to land the VP of marketing at Search Metrics role? Actually, I feel like I have kind of a non-traditional path to marketing leadership in the B2B space, and that's that I got my career start working at GE as an auditor of all things, as a finance guy, and spent the first 13, 14 years of my career in various finance and finance leadership capacities. I worked at Coca-Cola and at Cisco Systems, so for some fairly big companies. I got into marketing because one of my vendors, when I was at Cisco, a financial software company, recruited me to help understand product-to-market fit and come up with a go-to-market plan for a company they just acquired. What really, at the end of the day, was a hybrid role between sales and marketing, but at its core, it was a strategic marketing job. And I just fell in love with marketing and found my true calling. And since that time, I've worked at a number of B2B SaaS companies that always seem to be my sweet spot. And I've especially enjoyed working for companies that are pre-scale. So think about companies that are zero to 5 million or 5 to 10 that are looking to go to the 25 and 50 million revenue spot. And the list of companies I've worked for, I think the most familiar would be Ariba, which was acquired by SAP and was kind of one of the darlings of and dot-com boom back in the 2000s. The other thing I'd note there is that there's a certain amount of luck and timing with everything. And when I started in marketing in the early 2000s, that was very much a period where there was this transition occurring, both in the software world, where at that time we would call it on-demand software. This is back when Salesforce was this fairly unique creature out there. That was happening at the same time that marketing was changing and transforming and moving from kind of the art and the creative to more of the idea of data driving decisions. And it's funny, one of my big influences from that time and one of the things that I used as a guidepost to marketing was a very non-marketing book called Moneyball. And I think that's become a business tome for many professionals because it kind of boiled down the essence of performance in this case for the Oakland A's, one of the best teams in the history of baseball, by the way. But it boiled down performance to raw stats, raw numbers, raw metrics. And that's where marketing was kind of transforming. And so my background as a finance person who, at the end of the day, my job was really just getting to the brass tacks of what was happening in the business without the clutter of creative. It was bottom line, what are the numbers? That was really a big help to me. You mentioned that a lot of your role is also thinking about the brand and about product packaging pricing, sort of traditional marketing questions. So tell me about how you've developed that muscle coming from a data-driven background. Whether you're coming into the uh, marketing place from a creative background or from a financial or a data background, I think that 
we have to, as marketers, be able to do the creative and the analytical well together. And, and we may have a bias towards one area, but I think we end up developing both sides of that brain. The thing that ultimately helped me, because I again, I'm going to that sweet spot of using data, was that there was always something happening in the numbers that I could not explain. And that was the brand. That was the idea of brand. And a great example of what happens first here at Search Metrics is an example. We are brand dominant in Europe. And so you can see the impact of brand on the way that we drive new revenue. And we can see it on a programmatic level in terms of our ability to generate interest via content or email campaigns. And you can compare that to the numbers in the UK or the US where we're less brand dominant. And that for me is really brand. It's this idea that the company's reputation, how people feel about a company really can influence the numbers. So that's been the muscle that has developed really the slowest for me, but it's at least something that I can appreciate in terms of the numbers. But I will also say I've learned to trust my intuition and my judgment as a consumer. And I've gotten really good at stepping outside of my role and saying, would I want to read this content? Would I would call this good software? But I think these are good services. And that helps me at least provide the guidance. And then I know to really bring great creative people on board and trust their judgment. Talk to me about your customers at Search Metrics and how do you think about your segmentation? So we have, I think, one of the simplest and in some ways, one of the more complex segmentation exercises in front of us at Search Metrics. On the simple side of things, it comes down to, does your company depend on its online presence to drive revenue and brand? And then how does it depend on that? And that tends to create our segments. So as an example, if you're very much counting on your online presence vis-a-vis your ability to show up in search naturally to drive transactional revenue, then your behavior is determined by that. And that typically is e-commerce. So that's one important segment for us. The other is my content is topical. It needs to rank right away because I drive advertising revenue based on the amount of volume I can get for that one piece of content. That's media. And then I'm going to generalize this much bigger bucket by saying, I have a brand presence, and that's either very important for a micro market or it's important for a global market. But I need to be seen as being either an expert or I need my brand to show up against other brands in such a way that my online presence and my SEO is very much about maintaining that brand presence. So we end up having these three big mono segments. It's e-commerce, media, and then all other where they're really looking at brand and awareness as a driving factor for SEO. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. 
A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Can you give me some examples now? Help you with one of them: e-commerce, a company that's selling products like Amazon, eBay. Those are really good examples, and I would also say that the e-commerce influence is affecting brick-and-mortar companies as well. And you would be surprised that the number of companies that you would say don't have an e-commerce concern, let's say a car company, actually is beginning to think in terms of e-commerce. Tesla, by the way, actually does sell cars via their website. So they have this e-commerce component. Apparel is an important space for us that kind of bridges to e-commerce. So like Nike or Adidas would be good examples. So tell me about the media and publishing industry. So I think more classically, people would tend to think of media as the New York Times or any of the content you consume via television. But there's this whole space that's new media. At its worst, it's clickbait. At its best, it's teaching people how to do things in their daily lives better. But at the end of the day, it's about capturing people's attention in the zeitgeist moment of the last hour or week, if you will. And that's its own little micro industry within media. But I think that's the place we play best is that got to get your attention now place. I can't rely on what a big headline I have. I've got to find another way to get your attention. So an example of a company that like what you're talking about is BuzzFeed. Yeah. Okay. And then you have this other catch-all group of people that are trying to make sure that they have a presence. Give me an example of one of those. Good example would be Adidas or Volkswagen as examples of companies that see this challenge and embrace SEO as a practice using search to create awareness for the company. Is there a specific set of products that each individual segment needs? How do you think about your product packaging and what your service offering is for them? So across all those segments, there's a common layer. And that's what we call a technical SEO or technical search engine optimizer. It's a position within a company. They probably at some point were a coder or responsible for the website. And they understand the essence of SEO at a very technical level. In other words, they understand the mechanics with site optimization, site structure, internal linking, and how to combine that with what they would consider good to great content. They're not the purveyors of content. They're not the people that create it, but they can recognize it and make recommendations around better content. So our products service those folks all equally. Then if we look at who's adjacent to them, that's the people that actually generate the content and the people that are responsible for the results of what the SEOs do and what the content generators do, in other words. So essentially what you're saying is there's a software that helps people that are the SEO optimizers, the people that are making changes to your website to make sure that the content ranks. And the search metrics software gives them the tools and the data they need to understand how their content is performing. You've also built out additional software to help support the creators of content. And then there's a management level where there's, again, this underlying data where people can understand how SEO optimization and organic traffic as a channel is performing. Yeah. So talk to me about how you differentiate from your competition and how does your business model play into that? It's that we as a company culturally don't see our boundaries ending with SEO or content. We tend to look at things very much in terms of how do we help marketers perform better in this intensely competitive online space. So we have no hesitation to 
expand our platform. So good example, and we've talked about it kind of glancingly, is content experience. Really, all content experience does is it allows people to generate content that has a high probability of ranking because there's this machine and deep learning layer existing in the background as they're creating content that's making recommendations as they create content that matches user intent. In other words, what people are looking for. So that allows people to write without worrying about SEO, but still creating great content. And that's a good example of how we don't let traditional boundaries, in other words, the difference between search and let's say content marketing, stop us. But I think the other piece and another good example is that we've recognized that the content creation process is really broken for most companies. So wherever you're listening from right now and you're thinking about content, if you're a small company, you're like, I got a guy writing blog posts. That's fine. It works fine. You think about an e-commerce firm or a big brand, they're generating hundreds of millions of dollars of content every year. And quite often they're going to agencies, which do a good job, or they're going to brokers of content to get their content written. And they're spending a lot of money publishing a lot of content that just sits there. And I'm going to quote something that's a little bit out of date, but Content Marketing Institute, important partners of ours in 2016, talked about how 62% of all content created never gets read because it's never found online. So getting back to this idea of what makes us different, we just don't see boundaries there. So what we're looking at right now is how can we strategically help large companies create content that's going to rank better? And so that's, I think, what makes us different. And the way that consumers feel is that on a feature level and on a service level, like the brass tacks of what they're getting, it's much more comprehensive and much more effective, the software itself, because we don't see those boundaries. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Doug for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow morning, Doug is going to talk us through his approach to reaching business-to-business prospects, the relationship between sales and marketing, and the difference between marketing for B2B and B2C businesses. If you can't wait until the second part of this podcast and you would like to learn more about search metrics, go to searchmetrics.com to request your free tour of their platform. If you'd like to read the transcript of this podcast, we've published it on our website at martechpod.com. A special thanks to you if you're a subscriber of our podcast. We want you to feel like this is a community. So if you have any questions or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, feel free to reach out to me directly at podcast at benjshap.com or on Twitter and LinkedIn. Our handle is LLC. If you haven't subscribed and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of this episode with Doug Bell from Searchmetrics, we've got some great episodes lined up for you in the next few weeks. So if you're interested in topics like optimizing your CPC campaigns, growth hacking, or direct mail, hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.